Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Well, good morning, LBCF. It seems a little bit uh, stronger. The wind here, it's blowing my notes. I'm trying to find a good place for this podium. So if you see me moving it around, you'll know why. Uh, It's good uh, just to be back up here. Uh, I trust that you've had a good week. Um, Today we're going to continue on in our series on the parables. If you remember, Ryan talked about the parable of the vineyard workers and um, just the the benevolent landowner. And today we're actually going to look at the opposite of that. But as I was thinking about today, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a a remembrance ceremony, um, and my two youngest children went with me to Los Angeles um, by Union Station, and we got there a little bit early, so um, I found out that my, one of my boys had never been to the Union Station, and I love the Union Station. If you don't know, I used to be a a wedding photographer, and I did a lot of engagement photos um, around L.A., and that was one of the places that I used to take um, uh, engaged couples to. And so we walked in there and went around, and I was just like, you know, it's been a while, and I was just like marveling at how beautiful this um, building was. And I especially like, um, if you know about me, I like to look at ceilings. Whenever I go into a new location, I pay attention to, you know, what the ceilings look like. And... And that actually reminded me of an article I read recently, um, if we can have the first slide up. Um, if, if I think about all the like train stations, especially in the U.S., I, I think of the, you know, my, the most beautiful one is probably the Grand Central Station um, terminal in New York. Um, and if you look at the ceiling, you'll see this beautiful celestial uh, blue m- uh, mural um, that just kind of... Um, you know, encompasses the whole ceiling. But there's an interesting little corner in the northwest part of the ceiling, if we could have the second slide up. And there's like a little black spot. Do you see that? And some people were asking, you know, what is that black thing? Why is it just kind of sticking out? It's, it's, it's only like nine inches by five inches. What happened was um, when the Grand Central Terminal was, uh, reno- uh, was rebuilt back in 1903, Through the course of decades of people being allowed to smoke indoors, the the ceiling actually became darkened with the accumulation of cigarette tar and nicotine. And, And so back in 1996, the Metropolitan Transport Authority began this two year project of renovating the Grand Central um, Station, and they spent $200 million cleaning up the ceiling. And what they decided to do was they decided to keep a little remnant of how the ceiling used to look before renovation. And you could just tell, like, how much of a difference. And so when it was finally complete, people who hadn't been at the Grand Central State uh, Terminal in so many years looked up at the ceiling and never realized that this beautiful celestial blue um, mural was there. But this beauty was hidden for so long because of the, you know, the accumulation of thousands and thousands of cigarette you know, smoke over the course of nine decades. This, this layer upon layer of, of you know, um, nicotine just kind of covered what was there. 
And I think about that when I, I, I think about the parables of the kingdom of God, because oftentimes Jesus speaks about, you know, the kingdom of God and, and let he who, those who have ears let them hear or let those who have eyes let them see. What Jesus constantly is telling us to do is, is to allow Jesus to teach us how to have our eyes open. And the picture often is that our eyes have become darkened. Our eyes have been unable to see what is there, the beauty of God's original creation, the beauty even of the image of God in each person. And so the parables help us to like, like try to get a sense of, of what we're not seeing, what is hidden, what has been darkened by our eyes. And, and today one of those parables actually focuses on one of the destructive choices that actually veils our ability to see the beauty of God, to see the beauty of the kingdom. And today we are looking at Luke chapter 12, um, verses 13 on, and it's the parable of the rich fool. And the context of this parable, if, if um, it's not up there, but in verse 1, it talks about how Jesus is speaking to this crowd. And there are many thousands gathered, it says, and in verse 1, it says, so that they were trampling upon one another. Now imagine the scene, right? Jesus is trying to teach these amazing truths about the kingdom, and there's thousands of people. And, and people are jockeying for position that they're willing to step on one another in order to get a better view of, of this great teacher. And so Jesus in this time is trying to teach them about hypocrisy and faithfulness and also the fact that that God values every single person. And the irony is that as Jesus is talking about God valuing every person, people are literally tramping on, on one another, and it's this like crazy picture of what's going on. That by the time we get to verse 13, there's Jesus teaching, right? But then someone in the crowd, you know, interrupts Jesus in the middle of his thought. And he tells, he asks Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And, and so notice this, this person in the crowd isn't just asking politely. He's, he's pretty much making a demand of Jesus. He's saying, tell my brother that he must do this. And, and now Jesus, you know, seen as a rabbi, that's something rabbis did in the past. They would oftentimes, you know, mediate between conflicting parties. But for some reason, Jesus sees, you know, be, be what's going on in this person's heart and replies, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, and he's speaking now to the crowd, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And so Jesus is now giving a warning. He, he's using this interruption and to go back to a subject matter, and he's telling the, the people, watch out, be careful, be on guard. And whenever Jesus says this, it's, it's something that we hear often, but it's something we really need to pay attention to. It's, it's a warning. It's, it's a stern warning that Jesus is saying, you have to really pay attention to this, because if you don't, this will keep you from understanding the things of God's kingdom. This will keep you from experiencing love, abundance of life. It, it'll keep you from thriving. And so Jesus says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. 
And notice Jesus doesn't like, like say that possessions itself is evil. He, he quantifies or qualifies it, right, by saying the abundance of possessions. Well, when I think about Jesus, you know, Jesus was um, very different from um, like John the Baptist, where John the Baptist, you know, had the strict diet along with, with the disciples. John's disciples, they were fasting. And there's even a story in, in the Gospels where people compare John's disciples with Jesus. And they were like tell, asking Jesus, why don't your disciples fast like John's? And Jesus was seen as a person that loved to feast. Jesus loved to eat, drink, go to weddings. And, you know, he was just kind of more on the, like, social side. And, and he, he wasn't an ascetic at all, like, like John the Baptist. In fact, he even allowed a woman to pour expensive perfume over him. And so Jesus here isn't condemning the fact that people, you know, want to enjoy life, but he's, he's, he's drawing attention to an abundance of possessions where this, this over-attention to, to possessions overrides our focus where we become self-serving, self-centered, and, and selfish. And to make this point, Jesus um, shares a parable. And he says in verse 16, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for those will be with whoever stores up for things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And so Jesus describes this, this rich landowner who happened to have a very good year. It was like this bumper crop, abundant harvest, where he had too much crop on hand, and he didn't know where to put it. And so trying to assess the situation, he realized his barns are too small. And so what does he decide to do? He tears it down and, and builds bigger ones so that, you know, his thought is, if I just store all these crops, I'll have enough to live for the rest of my life. And then I can just, like, relax. I can eat, drink, and be merry. But one of the things to note in this passage is, is look at the repetition of words. The word my is repeated four times. The word I is repeated six times. It says, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barn and build bigger ones. I will store my surplus. And I'll say to myself, you'll have all these grains for many years to eat, drink, and be merry. And so as Jesus is, is painting this picture of this landowner, you know, this landowner, you know, had no thought about how the surplus can actually help the, the people who, like, planted the crops. He had no thought about how it can, like, be given back to, to the people that worked for him. He, he had no thought about what God had to say about this abundance. 
And so as a result, Jesus describes this man as a fool. And, and if we think of what a fool is in Scripture, it, it's a person who lives as though God doesn't matter. As though God doesn't have say-so into our life. Because wisdom, on the other hand, is all about paying attention to who God is and what God has to say, you know, in, in all manners of life. And, and if you remember what I said earlier, the context of this passage was this, this beautiful theological truth that Jesus was trying to teach the crowds. He was trying to tell them about, about the fact that you, you don't have to worry. Because, like, you, you see the ravens of the air and the sparrows and how, how God, like, knows the very number, uh, knows how many, like, hairs are, are numbered on your head. And he tells the crowd, don't be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. Jesus is described as a God who continually tells people that you have tremendous worth. And so when I th think about this, this rich landowner, I was thinking back at this list compiled by the church fathers um, uh, and, uh, called the seven deadly vices or the seven deadly sins. Um, the, the seven sins is vainglory, envy, sloth, avarice, anger, lust, and gluttony. I'm not sure if you've ever, like, studied through the, that list of sins. But a lot of the sins, like, you know, are pretty self-explanatory. Um, gluttony, lust, anger, sloth, envy, vainglory. Those, those like, are, are usual words that we hear all the time. But, but the seventh word for me, I remember when I first looked at it, it was, like, stuck out. And it's the word avarice. And I was like, what is avarice? That isn't part of my vocabulary at all. But I think avarice is a good descriptor for this landowner because it means extreme greed. Avarice is extreme greed. It's this person that, that just wants more and more and is just trying to accumulate. Avarice says, I want more because I'm suspicious that God isn't going to take care of me. And that's the contrast, right? That the person who doesn't pay attention to God, the fact that God is the one that, that sustains our life, that God is the one that has allowed us to be blessed with work, with, with shelter, or whatever it is, that, that God is the, one that, that, like, is the one that we need to pay attention to and realize that, that God is the one caring for us. And Jesus continues to teach this truth, this theological truth that, that God is good and you don't have to be in competition with other people. You don't have to hoard, you don't have to trample, you know, to get the best position, the best spot. Why? Because God is good. And if you would just pay attention to that, your eyes would, would be able to see the beauty in every single person and not see the other person as someone you need to compete against. There's this New Testament scholar by the name of Clarence Jordan who has an interesting translation of verse 20. And if you look at verse 20, it says, God says to this landowner, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And I believe that's the NIV. But Clarence Jordan, um, this Greek scholar, gives a more wooden literal translation, and, and, he, and he writes it this way in an unparaphrased way. He translates verse 20 as, Fool, 
This night they demand your soul from you. Now, why is that important? Because if you read this, this like kind of paraphrased translation, when it says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, it almost sounds like God is the one that's going to like take this person's life. It almost sounds like God is going to judge this person and like, you know what, guess what, you're not going to be able to enjoy, you know, what you thought you were going to enjoy and I'm just going to take your life. But this more little translation, fool this night, they demand your soul from you. Uh, Jordan explains it this way. God didn't kill that man. The word they, it's in the third person plural. Therefore, they are demanding your soul from you. Who is the they? All these barns, all these granaries, all these fields, all this stuff he has given himself over the years. They are demanding. It is not that the farmer will die that evening, but that all his wealth and all his possessions are demanding his soul. They demand control of his life, his lock, his stock, and his barrel. He now lives in bondage to the very things he thought would serve him. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to say to this landowner and to us. That our overindulgence with the accumulation of things and a disregard for what God has to say about our possessions, our disregard for how we use our possessions to like bless people, this over, overemphasis on these things is literally killing us. And it might not be tonight, but like that ceiling in, in the New York terminal, it is causing this, this slow layer upon layer of a darkening in our soul. That before we realize it, we've become less than human with no ability to see the good in any, any people around us. And life becomes all about the self-absorption. It becomes all about myself and, and taking advantage of the other person. You know, for much of my life, um, I always thought good stewardship was about saving money and, and trying to, like, make sure I get the best deal and, and all of that. But... Um, you know, as I spent more time, like, understanding what justice and mercy and loving kindness was and, and the way the economy of Scripture was, it, it wasn't good stewardship was not at all about getting the best possible deal. I remember um, back in the 90s when I was looking for a used car, and, I, and, you know, back then it was the penny saver, and you, like, you know, try to sort through and circle all the different, like, cars you want to look at and make the phone call. And I remember trying to purchase this one car, and, and I met up with the guy, and I could tell that, you know, he was desperate to sell his car. You know, he just lost his job, and he needed money. And, and you know what? I was, like, bargaining with him. I was trying to drive the, the price down. And I drove the price down, and I remember, like, coming back home and bragging to my friends, hey, guess what? I got this car way below blue book value. And I was, like, proud of myself for being a good, like, you know, just being, like, really, like, wise with my money. But as I began to look at the God of Scripture, I realized, Danny, 
what you did was not good stewardship. You took advantage of that person. Good stewardship is not about getting the best price. It's paying attention to, like, how we can use our resources. And I remember, you know, when my wife and I first purchased our house back in 1998, we were pretty early on found this gardener that we like, and he's been our gardener ever since. And, and you know, he gave me this, like, really good price, and, you know, I accepted it. And, you know, for I remember the first five years, you know, the price stayed the same, and, you know, he never asked for for it to be, um, to be raised, and, and, I, and I thought that was weird, but I was like, hey, great, you know, I'm still getting a good deal here. Uh, but again, the more I paid attention to Scripture, I realized I'm ripping this guy off. And so maybe he might not initiate, right? He might not be the one to say, hey, sir, you know what, I've been working all these years, and can, can you, like, can we increase this? I realized that that's my responsibility, I need to be the one to engage in this this man and to say, hey, you know what? What's fair wage is what's fair wage. Let's figure out every year what what fair wage is. And and fair wage isn't about trying to like find the, the what's the cheapest thing out there and then like going a little bit more, but fair wage is about what's sustainable for life. It's not about trying to give like the bare minimum you know, minimum wage, but it's about trying to pay attention to what's fair. And actually, the lead team, you know, here, Barbara, Ryan, and myself, it's one of the conversations we had a few months ago. When we were talking about the, the salary we gave to the people who cleaned this building on Saturday mornings, we realized, you know, we need to pump, bump this up because this, you know, it's not about what, you know, the, the market is saying, but what do we think is a fair livable wage and I think that's what like Jesus is trying to get at you know with with some of these parables it's that people who have wealth people who have power people who have means we can't just think about how much more we can squeeze out of other people but it's about generosity it's about realizing that people around us also need to live. It's not about getting the best deal, but seeing that in every transaction, there's a person behind this object that we are trying to negotiate. There's a person. There's a family. There, there's someone that needs to be cared for. And oftentimes, it's, it's hard to remember that. But what Jesus is constantly telling us to do is to pay attention to the lives of people because people are so valued in the eyes of God. And that's what Jesus was trying to get across through this whole chapter. That if you could only see people as people, then we wouldn't try to hoard things for ourselves. I remember when I was in San Francisco a few years back, um, you know, I was there with my family, and I hadn't been there a while, and I remember just forgetting that there were a lot of people who were living in the streets who were homeless. And, uh, you know, as we were going through the tourist areas, especially Pier 39, there were a number of people, like, coming up to us asking for, you know, help. 
you know, some we gave help to, some, you know, most people we didn't. Um, but I remember, like, pausing in one place where we were, like, snacking on, on something. And I saw in a little distance there was this um, elderly Asian lady who was, who was really tiny and just had the most precious smile, and she was asking people for money. And, and for some reason, that, that smile that she had, like, you know, just just like melted my heart and and so like I I went up to her and and I I gave her a little help but when I I came back went back to where my family was I was thinking that even in this situation I rank people on who is more valuable than the other why is it that I'm able to pass by other people and find that some others are more worthy of love. And that caused me to realize that there's something in me that is keeping me from seeing the intrinsic beauty and value in every single person. I am so far. I am so far from the kingdom of God. I am so unaware. I I treat so many people as invisible. And so that that tells me that that this this thing that is in my heart for some reason, Jesus is like speaking to me and saying, Danny, this is a warning. Be careful. If you're not seeing the value in every single person, and this is not to beat ourselves up and try to make us miserable, but this is about us trying to discover like the beauty and intention of God's creation. This is about liberation. About God helping us to see the kingdom of God. And I think part of it means that we, as, as followers of Jesus, like try to pay attention to how to develop this, this love muscle. How do we practice generosity? Because like every muscle, you know, it, it, it can't just be used once a year where you think that all of a sudden you can get, run a marathon and get away with it. It just doesn't work that way. But generosity is a muscle that needs to be practiced, right? It's, it's a discipline that needs to be, to be um, you know, utilized every single day as much as we can. And one of the best ways Jesus shows us how to do this is is by focusing on our wealth, our resources. How do we use what God has given us to pay attention to God in this picture and not be like the fool? To pay attention to what God says is meaningful because that will draw us out. Every once in a while I I watch... um, you know, the um, singing competitions, whether it's American Idol or America's Got Talent or, or any one of those. And one, one of my favorite parts, actually, is when, um, you know, near the end of any competition, you know, they have the live crowd and there's a lot of them and people are like, you know, people, all the con- contestants are really good and, and you usually get the standing ovation and people are just like cheering these contestants on. But one of the, my favorite snippets of these competitions is when they, they, they zoom into, like, the parents, right? The parents of the child. 
And as the child is singing, you could see, you could hear the roar of the crowd. And you could see the parents just like welling up with emotion. They're like crying. They're like just, just overwhelmed because they hear the cheer of the crowd. And it's almost like the parents are, are saying, we knew how, how amazing our child was. And finally, other people as well know. We've always known this. But now the world knows. And I think that's what Jesus is constantly saying. When he walks around, he's like looking at the crowds. He has moved with compassion. And Jesus is like, man, I see the value, but if only the world would know. If only the world would see how much value is in each person. And so Jesus constantly calls on the wealthy, the privileged, those who have means, those who are in power, the rich, the strong, the politicians, the religious leaders, whoever it is that has some ability of structural power or even economic power, he's saying, you guys pay attention. Because if you don't, there's a warning. Your heart will grow dark. You won't be able to see. And what I think we need as the body of Christ is a renovation. It's for us to be able to work these like generosity muscles and it just doesn't happen out of like guilt or anything else. But first and foremost, it happens first by seeing the abundance of God's love for us. In the same way that, that Jesus looks at the light in, in every single person. Imagine Jesus looking at the light at you and saying, you are of infinite worth. Don't worry. You don't need to trample on others. You don't need to hoard because I will care for you. And Jesus is asking, will you trust me? Will you trust me? As a church, when we, when we say, hey, you know, we have these things going on. We have like the, the laundry of love project where we can hang out at laundry mats and just meet people. Or we have Foster All. They're going to come next week and make an announcement on how we can help out as a church you know, we've been involved with Precious Lamb and more recently, you know, the Lamppost Project. You know, these, these things are, aren't just for us to try to make a difference in the world, but it's, it's really, you know, Jesus in this passage is saying it's so that we can, like, build up our, our ability to see the kingdom of God and love other people. And that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to transform our very own lives. And so I pray that somehow we would pay attention to our heart. That we would do some self-examination. Where do I, we identify with, with this teaching of Jesus? In the way we have paid attention to our resources... Have we paid attention to what God has to say? And so right now, Richard is going to lead us in a prayer of examine.
And we want to use this time for self-reflection. That God's Spirit would speak to our hearts individually. And may God soften us. Good morning, church. In gratitude, we turn to God, asking for the grace to recognize Christ present in all things. God, where did I see you in my home, in my daily chores, in my morning routines? Where did I miss your presence? God, where did I see you on my commute, in the day's comings and goings? Where did I pass by too quickly? God, where did I encounter you in my meals? Shared or alone, quick or leisurely? Where was I ungrateful? God, where did I hear you in the media? Where did I see you on my many devices? How did I distinguish your voice from that of the enemy? God, how did I encounter you in, in my neighbor, my family, friends, and co-workers? Where did I fail to love others as you love me? God, guide me in the day ahead, please. Amen. Thank you, Richard. As we move into communion, I'd like to read from Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We have our Savior who became the example for us, who emptied himself, who gave up all the privileges of, of heaven to become like one of us in order to love us, 
to give his life for us. And that's what this communion represents. It represents the fact that Jesus had to leave heaven to get to this place. Jesus had to empty himself in order to enter into the glory of being exalted by God the Father. And I pray that we would like pay attention to what Jesus did and that as followers of Jesus who long to live and love like Jesus, we would pay attention to that means and not just in some frivolous way, but in a way that actually requires sacrifice, self-reflection. But to know also that this is for our good, for our growth, for our ability to enter into the kingdom of God. And so when you're ready, you can come up and partake of the bread and wine.